0: Right, good morning, everyone. To see you all this morning, on this cooler day. Uh, let's pray. Father God, I give you thanks that you hold everything, the whole universe together by the power of your word. Lord, we lift you up and exalt you as our one true King of kings and Lord of lords, you who know the beginning from the end, um, who ordains all things that come to pass. Father, we ask that you would now lead us through your Word, by your Spirit, and we ask all these things for the glory of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we are continuing, obviously, in our series on the doctrine of God, and now we are getting to part two of the decree of God, and last week uh, was more of a sort of an introduction on the whole thing of of God's decree. We're going to get into more of the nitty-gritty focus on election and reprobation. Um, So let's get straight into it. I just want to read from the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3, bits that we didn't read last week. So from paragraph 3. By the decree of God for the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestinated unto everlasting life, and others foreordained to everlasting death. These angels and men thus predestinated and foreordained are particularly and unchangeably designed... And their number so certain and definite that it cannot be either increased or diminished. Those of mankind that are predestinated unto life. God, before the foundation of the world, was laid according to his eternal and immutable purpose. And the secret counsel and good pleasure of his will hath chosen in Christ unto everlasting glory out of his mere grace and and love without any foresight of faith or good works or perseverance in either of them or any other thing in the creature as conditions or causes moving him thereunto, and all to the praise of his glorious grace. As God has appointed the elect unto glory, so has he, by the eternal and most free purpose of his will, foreordained all the means thereunto. Wherefore, They who were elected, being fallen in Adam, are redeemed by Christ, are effectually called unto faith in Christ by his Spirit, working in due season, are justified, adopted, and sanctified, and kept by his power through faith unto salvation. Neither are any other redeemed by Christ, effectually called, justified, adopted, sanctified, and saved, but the elect only. The rest of mankind, God was pleased according to the unsearchable counsel of his own will, whereby he extends, withholds mercy as he pleases for the glory of his sovereign power over his creatures to pass by and to ordain them to dishonor and wrath for their sin to the praise of his glorious justice. The doctrine of this high mystery of predestination is to be handled with special prudence and care that men attending to the will of God revealed in his word and yielding obedience thereunto may from the certainty of their effectual vocation be assured of the eternal election. So shall this doctrine afford matter of praise, reverence and admiration of God And of humility, diligence, and abundant consolation to all that sincerely obey the gospel. Okay, it's quite a mouthful, especially in 17th century English. And this is the modernized uh, 17th century English. Um, But we'll dive into the ins and outs of this. But I think we should pay special heed to the last paragraph, paragraph 8 here, Um, which, which emphasizes that when we look at the doctrine of predestination, we've got to handle it with special care. That there is a certain mystery to all this, um, and ultimately, the, the point of all this exercise is not trying to figure out the, the, you know, the the gears and cogs of God's own mind, but actually to point us in wonder and awe. Of a sovereign God who saves, who faithfully saves His people to the uttermost. So this should lead us to to worship Him and adore Him even more. Not get, you know, hung up on 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 the supposed injustices which we're gonna look at, because even the Apostle Paul asks these questions in in Romans nine. All right, so think to, first off, before we get into election and reprobation, we need to zoom out. And we need to first look at what we call, in, historically in Reformed theology, called the covenant of redemption. And this covenant of redemption, which is taught in many places in Scripture, especially places like um, so we like to leave those on. So when... <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, we're still going to be at 10. Yeah, I know, we'll figure it out. Um, that uh, God has chosen his people. He's covenanted amongst the persons of the Trinity. He's covenanted amongst themselves to save a people for himself. So, Ephesians 1 speaks in, in this language that uh, from chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, that it was the Father who chose us, predestined us before the, salve- before the creation of the world. So, it was the Father's role in our salvation that He chose us, predestining us to salvation. Then the Father sends the Son. In the fullness of time to come to earth to accomplish that redemption. To die for us on the cross. To redeem us from our sins through the shedding of his blood. Ephesians 1, 5 to 10. And then the Holy Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son to then apply this calling of the Father. This redemption of Christ to apply that to us. To seal us with himself so that our salvation is is guaranteed and that's what Ephesians 1 13 to 14 uh, teaches us and so this covenant between the persons of the trinity say was made outside of time in eternity that before the creation of the world the father son and the holy spirit covenanted to save God's church to save God's Elect. And so the outworking of this then is our salvation. And, and then we can, you know, see uh, how God's people are saved in time. But the, emphasis, the point is here is that God planned to save his people before the creation of the world. I think that's a majestic truth. Any... Questions, comments before we dive into election? Okay, well, let's uh, put your seatbelts on and let's get into this. Okay, so first of all, we need to say that the language of election and predestination is not some, you know, some Calvinist oddity. It's not some things reformed people have invented. Yeah, we're talking about the very language of Scripture. Yeah, it's, it's there. <laughs> it's actually all over the place. Once you start seeing it, you can't unsee it in Scripture. Um, the, in Greek, uh, in the New Testament, where, we, you know, where it's translated, how's it full? Um, elect or election is from the Greek word eklektos. Okay, so that's, that's the two Greek words there, which means to be called out of. Okay, ek and kaleo. And this doctrine of election is taught consistently throughout Scripture. It's not just a Pauline thing. It's, it's Genesis to Revelation. We see the sovereign hand of God saving a people for himself. Basically, from Genesis 3.15, the promise of the seed of the woman that is coming to crush the head of the serpent. That's the initiation of the, the covenant of redemption made between the persons of the Trinity outside of time. Now, in time, it's a start called the covenant of grace. This covenant whereby God saves his people. And the outworking of that covenant of grace extends throughout redemptive history and is administered, as the Westminster Confession of Faith says, in many times in different ways. Um, So it's this one covenant of grace administered in in different ways, through Abraham, through Noah, through uh, David, eventually coming to its fulfillment in, in the new covenant in Christ. So from the Old Testament, we see... The doctrine of election, especially strong and most obviously so, in the fact that God elected Israel out of all the nations of the world to be His chosen people for His own pleasure. He didn't work especially with the Hittites. He didn't work with the Amorites. Especially, he didn't work um, with uh, the Canaanites. He So, specifically, the nation of Israel. (laughs) Any. I think there can be some confusion, because in the Old Testament, it seems clear um, that God chose Israel. But in the New Testament, under grace, there's no Jew or no Gentile. So then it makes it seem like it's everyone. Okay, well, no, that's an important point, because... The elect is still very much in the New Testament, but now God is broadening his scope. So he starts off with Israel as his is Old Testament people when it comes to the new covenant and the promise that God is going to save a people from out of every nation, tribe, and tongue is actually right in Genesis 12 with the Abrahamic covenant. It was always God's design that the gospel would go out to the Gentiles. And so in Christ, We find those promises in the covenant of Abraham being fulfilled, and so it's not that in the new covenant, the gospel that every nation is saved. There's a clear distinction. (laughs) Yeah, the the distinction is is God will choose a people out of the Greek is ek out of every nation, tribe, and tongue um, as His church. Yeah. Right. He was a pagan. Yeah, indeed. Okay, so Deuteronomy 7, 6 to 8, essentially, basically answers this question um, of why did God choose Israel out of all the nations? And this is what this text says. It says, for you are people holy to the Lord your God. And redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It's a wonderful text here because it shows us a couple of things. It shows us that the reason that God chose Israel was not because of anything special within herself. He didn't choose her because there was no foreseen merit, basically. He didn't look down the corridors of time and see, ah, she's going to be a nation that's faithful to me. Well, actually, we know the history of the Old Testament. She was anything but. Okay, she was rebellious and hard-hearted and went after idols and prostituted herself to all the, the, the demons of the other nations. Yeah, it, it wasn't because she was great or she was uh, more populous, but it was actually in spite of herself, in spite of anything in Israel that God chose Israel. And the reason that's given in the text is, why did he choose Israel? Because he chose to set his love on her. Nothing more, nothing less. And it's, it's the same with us. We are, the Bible in Galatians calls the church, the, the Israel of God. We are the fulfillment of, of God's Old Testament promises. Um, that God chooses, chooses us not he chooses us based on, on his exclusively on his sovereign will and his good pleasure. He doesn't th- look down the corridors of time with any of us and see, ah yes, he's gonna choose me. Yeah, she is gonna do a lot of good works that'll make her worthy to be a Christian. No He, he chose us because he, he he chose to set his love on us. Nothing more and nothing less. Yes, any anyway. Yeah, I mean, the Arminians like to use John 3.16 as a gotcha verse. And I, frankly, I don't, I don't see why that is um, a problem. I mean, we can affirm wholeheartedly that God loves his creation. He created the cosmos, which is the word Greek word used there for, for world. He loves his creation. Yeah, it doesn't mean that he necessarily then will save his whole creation cuz we know that the bible teaches that's certainly not the case new not of as the people, that person, John, well I, th- I think it's specifically talking about this this age yeah yeah Okay so he chose us purely because he chose to set his his love upon us and we see that truth emphasized in place like Ephesians 1 verse 3 it says in love he predestined us and this is one thing we need to emphasize with the doctrine of election it's not some cold doctrine where you know God you know just chooses some in a cold-hearted way and it's like deterministic no it's anything but that this doctrine is rooted in, in the love of God. And we call this, um, our election is unconditional. Okay? It's not conditioned on anything within us. It's all about God's good pleasure. And he will do what he is going to do. He, he chose us, in fact, before we could do anything, good or bad, because he chose us before the creation of the world. He had us in mind. It's not that text not saying that we existed before the creation of the world. It's that he had his church in mind, his elect in mind before the creation of the world. Not in a, just in a general sense, but by name. I mean, that should blow our minds. Okay, Romans 8, 29 to 30 says that for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's a wonderful verse because it shows us what we call the, the golden chain of salvation. That God finishes what he begins. If he is called you unto salvation, if he has predestined you for salvation, your justification is inextricably linked to that. He he will, in time, forgive your sins, make you right with God. He will sanctify you. He will bring you to glory. He won't let you slip off the bus along the way. He saves us to the uttermost. Now the Armenian position can't state this. They don't want to state this. Because they believe because of our free will we can sin enough and rebel enough to and have enough doubts that, that we do fall off the bus. Now I don't know about you, but that that is not very comforting at all. We have assurance of our salvation here because is precisely God who saves us. Of course we will struggle with doubts and sin terribly, even as saved people. But the assurance that if our salvation was rooted in our own whims and own works, well, I mean, w- w- we wouldn't make it, frankly. <laughs> even if it's God's 99% and our 1%, that our 1% would still mess it up. It really does have to be God's 100% to save us in in. in, 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 in in an entirety. Yeah, that's why Jonathan 2 verse 9 salvation belongs to the Lord. <laughs> and we're thankful for that. Sorry, Patrick, do you want to? Uh, no, it's just that one word those who foreknew be yeah. predestined. So, foreknew, in my mind, indicates that he might rather look down the tunnel of time. And sort of... Yeah, well, that's what the Arminians, how the Arminians see things. Um, but how? I don't think that is a correct understanding of foreknew in in the context here, because the foreknew is given the rest of the verse. It's talking about his elect. He foreknew those who he was going to choose. In other words, it is his initiative to say his foreknowledge to save his people. It's not saying it in the sense of no, he foreknew those who who were going to choose him. Because the initiative here is always on God, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's his action. It's not our action to be conformed unto Jesus. It's the work of the Holy Spirit who does that in us. It's the sovereign work of God. Even our sanctification is of the Lord. Here's any. Yeah, it's basically saying that he's not sovereign because he his plans are governed by we set the agenda and then God sort of accommodates us. Right. Exactly. Okay, so a couple of other verses here. And this is uh, in, in listing these verses. I, I don't want to say that. You know, there are just a couple of proof verses that, that show this. There certainly are, but it's the whole breadth and depth of Scripture that teaches us. We need to understand this. And hopefully, you know, listening to expository sermons, you guys are seeing this yourself. I mean, we've gone through Genesis, we're going through Exodus, this whole theme of that it's the sovereign hand of God who's directing everything, that theme is very strong, especially in those two books. And obviously, I means in every book, anyway. Um, no, no. Okay. Janet, John 15, 16, this is Jesus, Jesus' own words. You did not choose me. Even how, <laughs> how much more clearer do you, you, you need here? Okay. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Okay. Jesus said that. Not, I, I didn't say that. <laughs> Jesus said it. <laughs> welcome, welcome. To Acts 13:43 And when the Gentiles heard this they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and, to and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed sovereignty of God and salvation 1 Corinthians 1 27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 1 Thessalonians 1 4, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. And that refrain is repeated throughout, especially the opening of many of Paul's letters. It starts off with addressing the elect. God has chosen us. 1 Peter 1, 1 to 2. To those who are elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And then it goes on to say, and we we, you know, you'd be familiar with this if you're here for the 1 Peter series, that God has caused us to be born again with the imperishable seed of His Spirit. Yeah, that When He caused us to be born again by the Holy Spirit... We're going to be unborn again. That seed doesn't just shrivel up inside whenever you know, we have doubts or we say no. That seed is imperishable. Once God has planted it in us, it doesn't die. It, 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 it's lasts to the end. God is going to continue that work that he started in us. Well, Philippians 1 verse 6 yeah, God finishes the work that he began on us and will bring us bring it to completion on the day of the Lord Jesus. That 2 Peter 1:10 Therefore brothers be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Okay, pretty pretty clear. <laughs> um I don't think we're going to get to Reprobation. I think we should leave that for, for next week because it's really important. It's very really misunderstood. Welcome, Paul. Um, and I'd like us to to have a lot of space for for, for some discussion on on this. Um, but yeah, I think uh, let's leave it there with election. Are there any any last questions concerning the election? Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, Lorna, that, that's a great question. And I think we, from the data of Scripture, we have to affirm that ultimately, yes, God did know all that. And we see a clear example of, of how he, he, he yeah, why that is true, is that we look at Jesus' genealogy. And, I mean, we look at all the, the sinners that are in that genealogy of people being born as a result of rape. Um, prostitutes of rebellious people, of, of murderers. And that's certainly the, the reality of the sin-cursed world. And yes, God, and we touched on this last week, and his, yeah, he fordains he all things that, that come to pass, but he's not the author of sin, but in his sovereignty he uses all those mess ups and heartbreaks and tragic circumstances for his redemption redemptive purposes. To bring the savior of the world through a product of rape and prostitution, how's it going? Yeah, That's that's another excellent question. We'll get to that as we go through here because it deals with the issue of of suffering and and the sovereignty of God. And those are extremely it's an extremely important thing. And we'll look at how that all fits into the picture. Great. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that your Word is truth, and Lord that you. Sovereignly hold us all together through the, the word of your power. Lord, we ask that you would continue to teach us and sanctify us by your word and your spirit. That you prepare our hearts now as we come before your presence in the worship service. Um, Lord, we ask that you would soften our hearts as we um, receive your word and receive afresh your, the promises of your glorious gospel So lift up our eyes to to worship you, our faithful king, our king of kings and lord of lords. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.